Sometimes um, there's certain things that just need to take a closer look at in order to, to get the full meaning. Uh, I thought we'd start out with some, uh, a little bit of fun here, and uh, let me preface what we're going to do by saying that this is not what you should remember when you go home today. This is a little bit of fun, in order, or at least not the only thing to remember. So you have to study some things in order for the, the, the deeper meaning to come through that can be true with logos, like the FedEx logo, okay? So uh, when you dig a little deeper... You find another message in, in FedEx, it, not just the letters, but I just found this out a couple years ago. Maybe some of you are going to have an aha moment today. That the, They designed it so that the E and the X form an arrow here, which for a company that ships things is kind of a good symbol to have as you're moving forward. Now, I also want to say this is by no means an endorsement of FedEx, as we do have employees of UPS here at Bethlehem. <laughs> And quite frankly, I love brown more than purple and orange. It's just the logo, guys, okay? It's not an endorsement. Uh, <laughs> Dana, yes. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> Hallelujah. We got another logo here. Um, this is a place that gets a lot of my money. And, and that's why they have a smiley face, because they're taking Ben's money. Um, you can see that smiley face there, but if you dig a little bit deeper, there's, there's something else there. Uh, you notice how the arrow goes from A to Z, which is meant to denote that they sell everything. Everything you can think of from A to Z. I got one more for you, digging. Uh, Toblerone. Anyone had that chocolate before? Many? I have, I've never had it before. Uh, I know that it comes in like a triangular box, but it was, uh, it was created in Switzerland originally, so there's a uh, depiction of the Matterhorn uh, mountain there, and inside that Matterhorn mountain, there's another symbol, if you dig a little bit deeper, uh, there's a special honey taste or flavor, I, I guess I read, that Toblerone has, and so you, can you see the bear in the shadow of the mountain, there's uh, the nose and the ear and the hands and the, the feet. Um, that's a sermon. Amen, you can go home. I've told you all about logos. Um, where am I going with this? That's what I started with. Sometimes you see something, you hear something, and you, you get a thought about it. But sometimes the real meaning that was intended doesn't happen until you dig down on it a little bit. That is, to me, so true about Easter. Because we can get caught up in the family gatherings and the pastel colors and the hats and the breakfast and the ham and all that stuff, right? And the good music. But if we don't take time to dig down, we really haven't gotten to the hope of Easter. Our first fill-in for today is simply this, that Easter clarity will bring life clarity. Say it another way. If Easter could be made into goggles that you put on your face or glasses, that if, if that were the case and, and you looked through Easter at to everything in your life and every circumstance and every situation and every dealings, that is what I believe is what God wants us to know, understand, and do with Easter. That it becomes these glasses through which we view everything differently, and when Easter becomes clear, life is going to become just a little bit more clear as well.
Easter's really important, guys. In fact, I was thinking about this uh, this week. If, um, if someone came to me and was skeptical about Christianity or about Jesus and even about God, and, and they said, okay, I'm just about done with this stuff, but I'll give you, Ben, one chance to try to convince me about Jesus or about the Bible, but what would I do? Where would I start? The first thing I would think is, okay, I'll do my best, but the Holy Spirit's going to be the one working faith in your heart. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this, but it's really the Holy Spirit. But I could talk to them about uh, the Christian church and all the good things that Christians and Christianity has done over the centuries and, and how many good Christians there are. The problem is, is that any one of us could come back and give examples of how many horrible Christians there were and, and are and some big warts of the, the Christian church over the centuries that have really no defense to them, things that have happened. I wouldn't start there. I guess I, if I had one chance, I could start with trying to convince this person that the Bible is true, and I think that certainly would have some fruit to it, and I could go through how the manuscripts were gathered and how such, a, a, I guess, attention to detail happened as they were translated and, and how just the uniqueness of how the Bible came together, and that would bear some fruit, but I wouldn't start there. Where I would start, if I had one chance, is what happened to Jesus on Sunday morning that we know as Easter? Because here's the thing, if if someone could predict they're going to be crucified, die, and then self-resurrect themselves, like, he's got my attention. That might be someone that I'd be willing to follow and listen to. I think I would even possibly rest my hopes in that person if they were able to do that. That's, that's what Christians believe. And I want to show you today, as we turn to Luke chapter 23 and 24, why. Easter clarity brings life clarity. Before we can get to the Easter account, I just kind of want to give you a little bit of background as to where the mood of the, the followers of Jesus were on that, that first Easter morning, on the, on the morning of Jesus' resurrection. So we're going to start a little bit before chapter 24. We're going to start in chapter 23. You heard some of these words at the very beginning of our service this morning. Um, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council. He was a, a Jewish leader, and he was a good and upright man. He's, in fact, someone who had not consented to their decision and action. What that means is that Joseph was not in agreement with the rest of the Jewish leaders who uh, decided that Jesus should be crucified. He dissented. He was not on board with that. Verse 51, he came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. What this means is that Joseph lived every day waiting for a Messiah to come, waiting for a Savior to come, which had been predicted in the Old Testament or, or prophesied in the Old Testament that a Savior, a Messiah, would come. He was a man who was waiting for that to happen. And so he went to Pilate. Pilate was the Roman leader who had the authority to have crucified, uh, to have Jesus crucified, and he asked Pilate if he could have Jesus' body after it was indeed dead. Then Joseph took it down along with another man named Nicodemus, maybe you recall that name. He wrapped the body in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock. 
one in which no one yet had been laid. Verse 54. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now, one of the things you might know about the Sabbath is that it's Saturday. And another thing you might know about the Sabbath, possibly, is that there were a lot of rules about what you could do and couldn't do on the Sabbath. It was supposed to be a day of rest. And so when Joseph and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus, um, they were only able to work on it until the Sabbath began. So Jesus died at about 3 you would imagine it would take at least an hour or so. I'm kind of speculating there how long it would take for them to, to get Jesus' body after it died. And the Sabbath actually began not on Saturday morning, but kind of at sunset on Friday, which they always denoted as being at 6 o'clock. So Joseph and Nicodemus had, what, maybe two hours and an hour and a half to do all of this stuff and to prepare Jesus' body for burial. Next verse. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee... They followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Um, they were right there. They saw that Jesus had died. They saw that what, what happened. And then they went home and they prepared spices and perfume. So they saw how his body was laid and then they went home and prepared spices. Here's why. They, they saw that Nicodemus and Joseph had not been able to complete the burial process with the spices and perfumes, which was a custom of the time. And so they wanted to make sure that they completed it. They rest, but they didn't do it right away. Instead, they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So they go home. The other disciples, uh, the 11, are in this room as well where they go. And, and other parts of Scripture tell us that what happened was they, they go back and they lock the door because they're really fearful that what happened to Jesus might happen to them. They're filled with, with fear and feared, filled with confusion about the events of the last couple days. Now, for those of us who come on Easter and might be a little skeptical about the Bible and especially about the resurrection because the resurrection is that important, um, I just want to acknowledge something. There have been theories by some who are skeptical about the resurrection that have said that these, these writers, like John, there, there's little doubt that a man named John who was a follower of Jesus wrote the book of John, okay? There's little doubt about that. But that they theorize that John had a great reason to kind of change the ending of Jesus' life and to make up a resurrection, that Jesus, because no one's ever seen someone do this before, didn't really rise from the dead, but instead his followers who wrote about it made it up in order to, why? They say to save face. Um, here's what they mean. These are men who left their entire lives to follow Jesus. They left their jobs, they left their families. Everyone knew that. And now this guy that they sort of hooked their wagon to dies way before they thought, and there's an embarrassment maybe that they felt. And so in order to not be so embarrassed, what if we made up this story about a resurrection? Now, here's why that is a bunch of baloney, okay? Because the account that they wrote 
is not in any way written in a way that you would write if you wanted to make yourself look good. If that was the purpose, it's not written like that at all. You see, if you wanted to make yourself look good, you'd write, Jesus was buried and we went to the room together. And while there, we decided to plan the first and the greatest Easter service there ever was. And we sent out the ladies to go buy all the lilies that they could find because you can't have Easter without lilies. And we got the band together and they practiced for Easter morning and we got the breakfast together and we just, we were getting all ready for what we knew would happen on Sunday morning because we had it all together. If you wanted to make yourself look good, if you were going to make up a, that's what you'd write. But the reason they wrote that they were confused and scared and fearful is because they were confused and scared and fearful thinking that Jesus was dead. And for Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday morning, there was a great confusion about God and his plan. It leads us to our next fill-in. You can relate. You can relate to confusion with life, I bet. Why is this happening? Why did that happen to me? In fact, uh, I think of those women waking up on Sunday morning and part of them as they woke up thinking, maybe it was just a dream, all this stuff about our friend and Jesus dying. And yet when they got up, it wasn't a dream. You've had those mornings where you wished whatever it was you were facing was just a dream. Um, maybe he's still alive, my husband, my wife, my grandparent, and yet you wake up and he or she is not. You, you still have those aches and pains. Your friend or relative still has the cancer. You still struggle with anxiety and depression. You still feel lonely. Your marriage is still challenging and difficult. Oh, by the way, side note, every marriage is challenging, and so you're not alone in that. Marriages are wonderful. Everyone takes work, okay? But we can wake up and, and have these, the, the, the same thoughts of those women, just confused, and, and when things are still the way they are and we don't like it, we become, we become confused with God and his plan. And we begin, can begin to doubt. I'm sure the ladies doubted some things about God and about Jesus as the Savior was dead. Maybe you've thought that I can't be a Christian unless I get rid of all my doubts. Or maybe you are a Christian and you've thought, I can't really tell my pastor or other Christian friends that I have doubts because, well, Christians aren't supposed to have doubts about God. Let me say this. If we had a church filled with only people that never doubt God or are confused by God, um, we'd have a very small church. Like, no one would be here. It's okay. Well, it's natural to have doubts. It's natural to be confused by God. But, but I think Easter will help you with that too, Okay? 
It's Sunday morning now. Next verse. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They're still confused and fearful and disappointed. They found that the stone was rolled away, and just to give you a little bit of of history, uh, at this time, uh, a stone tomb like this would have had uh, a stone about the size of like a a large wagon wheel, and then oftentimes there would be a a trough where the wagon wheel would kind of roll back and forth to cover the tomb or to open the tomb, and I mean, this would be a, a big stone where you'd need, you know, a bunch of guys pushing it or maybe some sort of, you know, large animal or something like that. And this word in the Greek doesn't denote that it was rolled back in the trough. It has a bigger meaning than that, like it was thrown. Like the women came and the rock wasn't in the trough, it was over in the woods somewhere. It was thrown away, something that no person could do. And when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Verse 4, while they were wondering about this. So they're still confused. I mean, it, the rock's over in the woods. Uh, you, you'd think you'd begin to put two and two together, but they didn't. They didn't. God had to, to be much clearer with them than even that. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Two angels appeared, which, verse 5, makes sense. They got scared, okay? In the fright, the women bowed down with their faces to their ground, to the ground, but The men, the angel, said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? And I have to imagine the ladies are thinking, We're not looking for the living among the dead. We're looking for the dead among the dead. We saw Joseph put him in the tomb. We're we're looking for a dead body where we should be looking for a dead body that is in a cemetery. Verse 6 He's not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? This is kind of a good bookend if you were here on Good Friday because we looked at these words in this conversation which happened about three weeks before uh, Jesus actually was crucified and died that he predicted that this would happen. Don't you remember when they said that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and then the third day be raised again? And I've often wondered, like, Why did the disciples and the women not be expecting the resurrection? Why did they they expect Easter? Because Jesus told them about it before it happened. And my, my answer to you, because you've wondered this too, is first of all, I'm not sure, but I can speculate, okay? I wonder if the disciples and the women who had heard Jesus predict this were like a a two year old when they're being told something that they would rather not hear. You know know what a two-year-old does? They're like, la, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear you, you know, and at least at our house, they do that once, okay? So you got to squash that, right? You don't want that happening a lot. And they do it when they're teenagers, and that's no good. But maybe that's what the disciples were like. There was this news, this message they didn't want to hear, so they chose not to. Or maybe it's because they had seen how Jesus was able to do just about anything he wanted, feed 5,000 people, raise the dead, uh, make the, the lame walk. Maybe, it, maybe they just didn't think this was possible. But for whatever reason, it wasn't until the angels reminded the women of what Jesus had said and what 
God had planned out that their confusion began to dissipate. Because verse 8 says this, then they remembered his words. And let's be frank, they didn't quite understand in this moment all the different things as the result of the resurrection, but what they did believe in that moment was the resurrection had happened, that Jesus was no longer dead, but that he had risen from the dead just like he had predicted. This truth of Jesus being prophesied to come, to die, and to rise again is not something that just happened by accident, but not only did God predict that to the disciples, he, he predicted it way back in the Garden of Eden. And you know why we have the Old Testament? You know why God preserved the Old Testament? The, the main reason he preserved the Old Testament was to show us that God is all about our salvation plan. He wanted us to see how he preserved a group of people whose father was Abraham and preserved that, that family until, just as it was promised, uh, a Savior came. And when the women understood that the resurrection happened according to God's plan, and they connected those dots, confusion began to dissipate, and they began to have confidence. When you and I understand and realize that what happened on Easter was something that God had predicted for thousands of years and then happened just as he had planned, we begin to see a God who has awesome, awesome plans. We begin to understand that we may not understand everything about God, but we can understand his heart and his love for sinful human beings like you and for sure like me. This group huddled in a room, history tells us, even outside of the Bible history tells us, that because they saw Jesus dead and then rise again, that they became, they, they were changed. In fact, they became some of the, the bravest people who've ever lived. They would not stop talking about the reality of Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, even though it meant their own death, many of them crucified, just like their Savior were or was. It changed them. It changed them. I mentioned that Easter clarity of what really happened that day can bring life clarity, that Easter can become these goggles that we begin to look through all of our lives at. And, and what, what changes? Uh, I've got two fill-ins here that I'm going to give you right away. There's our last two. Easter brings clarity to what we're searching for in life. And Easter brings clarity to where we're searching. The, the women needed help with this. They, they, were, they were looking for the dead. They were supposed to be looking for a live person, and they were looking in a cemetery, which a live person was not there, and they needed to be corrected. Uh, you and I sometimes need 
to be corrected on these two things, what we're searching for and, and where we're searching. You know, Easter's a good day to, to think about these questions and to think about life, think about the bigger picture. And um, there's a, a time in all of our lives where we begin to think about that bigger picture. And usually it starts to happen when either we get bored with our job or when people we really, really love start to pass away. Until then, it's kind of oblivious to the big picture a lot of times. But one of those two things is when we start to think about a, a bigger picture. Now, I think that I can, with a pretty good accuracy, tell you what many of our lives look like or what many people's lives that you know look like. Um, let me see if, if I'm on to something here when it comes to the, the point of life. We, we, we look a, around, and it's like, wow, everyone's life is kind of the same, right? So, like, we're born. How many of you were born? Okay, yeah, okay, good. Accurate so far. Then we're potty trained, most of us here, potty trained. And then we go to elementary school. Accurate. Middle school, still with me, Mark? Middle school, good, good job. Then many of us go to high school, like all of us probably went to high school here. And then we hopefully graduate one way or another, GED or, or the regular diploma, whatever. And then this is where things get very different, very different. Some of us go get a job. Others of us go to college. But here's the thing. When those who went to college graduate, they get a job, and now everyone's kind of the same again. Am, am I, does this describe any of your lives? All right. Um, and then at that time point, you start to think about getting married or, or you get married. And then many of us have kids at that point after that. And then we work. And we work and we work. And that's a lot of years of work, all right? Uh, just to be frank, it's a lot of work, okay? And then grandkids happen. And then at a certain point after grandkids, we retire. Am I... Have you, do you know any people like this? Have you heard? Okay. Um, and, and then at a certain point, um, we, they travel a lot of times after, after uh, retirement. And then the men play golf. And I'm not sure what the women do. I, I know they do stuff. I just, I'm more interested in the golf side of things. And then, and then they spoil their grandkids. And then the parents are like, I don't know those people. Who are they? You know, is this the, the, the spoiling? I don't know those people. Um, they're not like that when I grew up. And then, and then, and then they get sick, and then they die. Do you know anyone like that? Like, everybody you know, or at least close to it? And I don't share this with you to depress you, because it's not depressing on Easter. I share this with you to open your mind to the fact that the 70 to 80, or for a good friend of mine this year, early 40s, whatever it is on this earth is so short. So what are we searching for? And could it be that what we need the most is bigger than this life? That what we need the most is a resurrection. 
And what we get on Easter is not only Jesus' resurrection, but by faith in him, ours as well someday. And so I pray that you look at everything through that clarity and through that lens of a life that is bigger and longer than this life and of a hope that is absolutely certain. Happy Easter. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your plan of salvation because you know that there was no way that I could have a relationship with you on my own. I needed help, and you sent the world a Savior. Lord, uh, there's a part of me sometimes because I can't see with my eyes that that doubts just a little bit. I, I pray that not because of wise words from some pastor, but because of the Holy Spirit, that that faith was strengthened today. I began to think about things maybe in a renewed way or maybe in a brand new way. Lord, may I leave this place, no matter what's going on in my earthly life, with hope that heaven has been won and that my eternity is secure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.